This is Chad Harrington here. My company, Harrington Interactive Media, produces and sponsors this podcast. We help you create and market media. And if you're thinking about launching a podcast, we'd love to help. We'll help you get your message out there and generate leads too. To start a conversation with us, click on our website link in the show notes of this episode and go to harringtoninteractive.com. This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. In this episode, Greg Murtha shares his talk called Cancer Forced Me to Slow Down and Be a Part of God's Plan for My Life, recorded on June 16th, 2016. My friend Jim McKee, I've asked him to kind of do an interview because this will actually keep you guys, it'll make sure that we're out of here by eight and not by nine. So second thing is, is, you know, I was supposed to be here 10 weeks ago and at 2.30 in the morning, I had a heart attack. And to tell you, uh, kind of the, the uh, family value that we have now is we're not promised tomorrow. You know, we hear that and a lot of us, I don't think really embrace that. But the fact is, is even last night as I prayed that, you know, God, this is an opportunity to share my story. It's my prayer that I get out of the way, that you don't see me, but you see Jesus. And that uh, through my experiences, and we'll get into this a little bit more uh, in a few minutes, but from doing 53 rounds of chemotherapy, and by the way, the 53rd round was a new type of chemo, I was told that there is a... 20% chance that I would break out in a rash, and I'm in that 20% group. Thank you very much. So when I say that I feel like Job, uh, these are the boils. So, and I'll tell you a fun thing too. Jim came over yesterday, so I've done, had the the cancer, I've had the heart attack, I'm breaking out in boils. Uh, Jim came over and we kind of uh, uh, walked through what we were going to say this morning, kind of got to the end of that, and he looks over at me after we prayed and said, hey buddy, I'm going to encourage you to wear a hat, he says, uh, it might cover a part of that. I mean, uh, you just need to cover that up. So one of my favorite proverbs is, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So Jim is a real friend. So, I'd I'd like to to share quickly how I got here and and, and my role in this. I've known Greg for a number of years, and I'm a member of a a man's group that meets on Friday mornings. And this past fall, uh, we studied Joseph and his brothers in Egypt. And at the end of the story uh, was Genesis 50. And and in that, we're all all very familiar with it. Uh, Joseph says to his brothers, you all meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Well, uh, we have a member of our group who uh, is a cancer patient, and and he brought to the group towards the end of of the fall uh, uh, something that someone had shared with him, the things that cancer cannot do in a list of, of, say, about 10 things. And uh, I shared that with Greg, and Greg immediately fired back, well, here's the things that cancer can do. And at the end of it, he said, Genesis 50, again, the same verse. And I'd like just to read that to you. 
It's Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. But then he goes on to say, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Well, the fact that we had this intersection between what we had been studying and, a, and then a real-life example really energized our group, and they asked me if uh, Greg could come speak to the group, and, and Greg consented, and, and we talked about how to do that and, and uh, worked out that I would interview Greg, and, and uh, we did that, and that worked well, so that's why Greg has asked me to be here again with him today. So, uh, Greg, when we get started, the first thing I'd like for you to do is to recognize your dad. Yep, my dad's here. Uh, he came in from Memphis this morning. That's Glenn Murtha. The next thing I'd like to do, Greg, is for you just to tell us quickly about uh, Tracy and Jackson. Well, I have a wife of 21 years, and when, uh, when they say for better or for worse or for sick or for health, you never think that's really going to you know, be a part of the deal, but it has been. And my wife is unbelievable. Matter of fact, I asked her to marry me at the chapel right over here. And I remember calling her parents at the movie theater over here with the, at the payphone, telling them that she said yes. So it's a good thing. Uh, we have a son named Jackson. Uh, Jackson's 14 years old. And, you know, for a kid, I mean, I've been battling this cancer thing for five years now. And for a 14-year-old kid from nine years old to 14, to see what he's seen and to be exposed to what he's been exposed to, um, Candidly, I think it's a blessing. It's, it's unbelievable. He's seen missionaries from India come and pray for us in our home. He's seen, um, frankly, a change in my life in that uh, transitioning from me being in control to trusting God and doing what God tells me to do. And he's seen that and he's experienced that. So his experience with faith is a lot different than, frankly, mine was growing up in that I thought, you know, faith was about going to church. Faith was about being somewhere, uh, not about truly doing what Jesus tells us to do. But I've, I've got an incredible 14-year-old son. He's a great kid. Wish he was here, but uh, he was playing Xbox late last night, like most of your kids were, I'm sure. Okay. So. So uh, you had quite a journey. You uh, mentioned earlier a little bit about comparing yourself to Job. Uh, ten weeks ago, you had a heart attack, and uh, four or five years ago, you were diagnosed with cancer. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, about the cancer experience? Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, it dawned on me that this wasn't a surprise to God. He didn't wake up and go, oh, my gosh, Greg was just diagnosed with cancer. And so the second thing is, is... You know, we love our kids. I think it's just natural to love your kids. And the fact is, is that I love my son deeply. And I realize God loves us deeply. I mean, more than we even love our kids. So if he loves us, and this isn't a surprise, then this must be a part of his plan. So I have a choice to either say, I'm going to live my story, which is small, or I can be a part of his story, which is which is historic. It's an epic. So I, I chose early on that God it was January 2012. I had been following God for years. I've been writing in my journal and reading my Bible and doing kind of what you do if you're a Christian. But the fact is, is I was in control. I mean, it was, we, we launched a ministry with Bob Buford called Halftime, which was a wonderful ministry, a wonderful organization to be a part of. But as I reflect back on it, and when I was 46 is when I was diagnosed with cancer, is that I reflect back, it was, it was, I made a plan 
and ask God to bless it. And when you operate in that realm, it, it's addition. It's one plus one equals two. But when you transition from God, what is your plan? You prompt me. You lead me. The answer is yes. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'm in. And that's a commitment that I made in January of 2012, that you see multiplication. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, it, it becomes, a, instead of just a walk, it becomes an adventure. And so for literally the last five years, uh, I've been on the adventure of a lifetime. I mean, it, it's, it's been amazing, and we're going to share some stories that I think uh, hopefully you'll see. God kind of shows up, and when you say yes to his prompting, you got to slow down to hear his prompting. I mean, the fact is, is up until 46, I ran everywhere. I, mean, I was constantly going. And, and, and when you're forced to stop to do treatment, to do chemotherapy, when you're forced to stop to go see a doctor every other week, when you're used to just being in Houston or Dallas or LA or I mean when you're forced to stop at least for me I now see things that didn't exist before I've met people that that I would have never ever met and I've engaged with people in, in ways that again I, I wouldn't even known that I missed the blessing I just would have missed them let's go back and, and discuss a little bit more can you tell us a little bit more about your pre-cancer life uh, you know some of the things you did and running fast and furious and well beyond what you were what the Lord was calling you to do and what the net result of that was you know I, I thought um, God loves you if you do stuff for him if you perform for him so that that was my mentality so uh, I said yes to being president of the organization halftime, and I never should have said yes to that because I'm not a president. I'm a relationship guy. Uh, we were a part of, my wife and I, of planning a church in Dallas, Texas called Watermark. We were one of the first 13 couples. Easter this year, they worshiped 22,000 people. But we were, when we were a part of that, we, they said we need people to lead community groups, so we led two. Uh, we need people to help with the follow-up ministry, so we led the follow-up ministry. We need people... There's a family from Zimbabwe, Africa that's immigrating to the U.S. We go, well, why not us? We'll take them. And the fact is, is I've realized I was doing more than God was asking me to do. So at 36 years old, uh, we had to call a pretty big time out. Is I had severe anxiety and panic attacks. Uh, frankly, I was uh, what I thought is, uh, what if these people realize I don't know what the hell I'm doing? Because I didn't, you know, and, and I'd worn this mask that I was capable and I can get these things done. And Bob Buford would ask me to take on a project. And my answer to him always was consider it done. And I took pride in that. But the reality is I was taken out at my knees at 36. I, I, the thing that I enjoy doing more than anything is making friends, uh, winning people over, if you will. I had an assistant ask me to meet her new boyfriend at a restaurant in uh, South Dallas. And I remember after being taken out at the knees, driving around that restaurant three times because I was afraid to go in. And that's because I, I just did too much. I had a Christian psychologist who told me, you know, your problem is that your elevator doesn't go below the second floor. Uh, you need to really learn to stop. And candidly, when you're moving that fast, I was afraid to stop because I was afraid of what I might hear or see or uh, I was afraid of really kind of who I was. But, but again, it's funny to think that you're doing all of that stuff, or I was, for, well, I thought, for God's glory. 
in reality, he doesn't need us to run around and do those things for him. He doesn't need that. And yet I thought that he did. You were running fast and hard, but you were convinced that you weren't running fast enough or hard enough. And you continued to push yourself. Tell us the story about Jackson and when he was performing for you. One Saturday, Jackson came to me probably, I don't know, seven years ago. And he, he comes in and says, hey, Dad, I want to show you something. Come outside. I look, I, I learned to dive off the diving board. So I go out and see him dive. And then he comes running in and says, Dad, Dad, I want you to see me do a, a, a backflip on the trampoline. So I come out and I see him do the backflip. And then he comes in and says, Dad, 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 I want to show you how I've learned to drift driving the go-kart. So I come out and see him drift. And I mean, he's trying to get my attention. And I'm, frankly, not a very good dad. And I'm sitting inside kind of doing what I want to do on a Saturday. Now, what happened, though, is kind of interesting because I used to office from my home. So that Monday, Jackson woke up and had a fever of right over 100 degrees. And for three days, he, was, he, had, he couldn't go to school. So my wife is a physical therapist. She went to work. I stayed at home. Jackson stayed with me. And the, the three days of him lying on a leather sofa with his head in my lap, just, just it, it uh, I can't tell you how much I love that as a dad. Because he never slowed down either. He was, he was always running. And for him to be down for three days where I could just run my fingers through his hair and, uh, and just be with him, it dawned on me that that's what God wants from us. He doesn't need us running around. He doesn't need me showing him I can do a backflip. He doesn't need me showing him I can do the follow-up ministry or be a president of an organization. He wants me to put, his, put my head in his lap. And frankly, I think he wants the same thing from you. And so when you do that, you can make eye contact with God. And when you do that, then when you're moving slower, you can hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And when you hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, and you say yes to what you're being prompted to do, that's when the adventure starts. And, and I, like I said, I, I've been a, it, it's an adventure of a lifetime. It, as someone once said, if, if, if you had the choice of, of saying yes or no, God sent you an email and said, look, yes or no, you can have cancer or not have cancer. What would you choose? And the suffering is hard. I mean, it is hard. But I would say yes, because, I mean, it's unbelievable that the opportunities and the people that God will lead your way if you just say yes, and you don't have to gin it up. I thought that I did. I thought I had to do the. I, I just have to be, and God provides the opportunity for me to step, in, step into who I am for his glory. So... You know, Greg, um, your story, I know that all of us can, can, can resonate with your story. All of us are hearing what you're saying, that God gave you an image of what's he, what he wants from you with, with Jackson performing and then Jackson getting sick and just putting his head in your lap for three days, and that was the relationship that God wanted you to have with him. But that wasn't enough. You didn't hear it, and we don't hear it. So God had to stop you. Tell us briefly, just walk us through the facts of your cancer, you know, your diagnosis and where you are now, because I know they're interested in knowing. Yeah, I'll do this quick. I was diagnosed uh, at the aggressive stage three, um, and um, which is the next to the worst. And so they gave me 12 rounds of chemo. Um, my doctor, frankly, said 
put a V in front of my name at Vanderbilt, which what that means is that you're a former cancer patient. And then we did a CT scan and found out that that wasn't actually true. So now I'm stage four. I have a tumor on a rib, and I have uh, some some cancer growing in my lungs. So that's we, we are we're combating that now. But that's it's just it's it's where I am. I I, I looked at a CT scan last week, and I was meeting with a, um, a nurse practitioner, and it just dawned on me. As you know, it's growing again. So I, I looked at the slides, and as you look at a CT scan, it's like looking at a loaf of bread. Just in every slide is a different slice, and it's growing. And I just looked at her and said, you know, if we don't stop this, that's going to that's gonna take me out. And with tears in her eyes, which I was just amazed that she cares, but with tears in her eyes, she goes, yeah, you're right. Uh, but she says, we're here to help. So We're here to help. Um, Let's, uh, let's move into some stories. You've talked about now that, that cancer has caused you to stop. And you are focused on, on, on allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. And, and what a terrific adventure this is, is, is for you. Tell us, tell us a story about your, your interaction with the Bohemians at the uh, Calypso Cafe shortly after the doctor told you that uh, you were cancer-free. Okay, something I want to um, hammer or want you guys to hear is I think that we make our faith way too difficult. We make it, I think, harder than even God intended for us to make it. Uh, there's seven steps to this or 12 steps to this. or you know. And the reality is I, I've come to understand that it's pretty simple, that number one, just spend time with God, read his word. And uh, for me, I read a proverb every day and then something else, either from the Old Testament or the New Testament, to pray. And when you pray, do more listening than talking, which is hard because I'm used to being the one that talks, you know. And, and But it's listen. And then three, and this is the key to all of it because it's uncomfortable sometimes, is just do what he says to do. Simply do what he says. If he prompts you to mention something to a waiter, if he prompts you to pray with someone that you see in a hallway, if he prompts you to strike up a conversation in an elevator, do that. And that's, again, for me, that's where the adventure has started. Uh, to the story of the Bohemians, I had finished my 12th round of chemo. Again, we believe in celebrating as a family. So Tracy and I went out uh, to have dinner and went to the Calypso Cafe. Our waiter, I don't know if you guys remember the Calypso Cafe. Do you remember the wait staff there? They had tattoos and, and lots of earrings and... Our waiter had a beard that came down to here, and it was braided with beads in it. And so I said to the guy, uh, prompted by God, hey, do you know why we're here? And we got there late. We were one of the latest you know, people to come before the restaurant closed. He says, no. I said, I just finished my 12th round of chemotherapy, and my doctor says that I'm cancer-free. And this young man, just I, I had no idea that it would, he would respond in this way, but he was like, that's unbelievable. Tell me more about that. And he just engaged in our story. He engaged in this conversation. And he kept, you know, come back and fill up our tea. And we just, just had a great conversation with him. So the meal was over. Uh, we look around. They hadn't brought our check yet. So uh, Tracy and I get up. We walk across the restaurant. It was the one in Cool Springs. And there's a lady behind the cash register. And she saw me coming. And she pulled out our, our bill, our check. And on it was written, paid in full. And she said, you know, we 
as a waitstaff, wanted to buy you guys dinner. We wanted to celebrate with you. And all of these kids, again, tatted up, the earrings, I mean, crazy, I mean, um, just, it, it, just people that, I mean, Tracy and I are 47 years old at the time, and we're Ward and June Cleaver. I mean, we, we, you, I mean, we are so not cool. And so these kids come out, we're in a circle with them, and, and I said, hey, can I share a few things with you? And they said, yeah. And I go, you know, I think God loved me enough to allow me to have cancer so I could slow down and enter into a dialogue and a relationship with people like you. And I said, and the bottom line is, is what you don't know, you might not know, God loves you just the same. He loves you more than you could have ever imagined. I mean, he's crazy in love with you. And as I'm saying this, they're weeping. And then I just say, and I always ask when I'm meeting with people or when God prompts me to go kind of speak with someone, but I said, would you be okay if I prayed with you? Would you be all right if I pray? And every one of them said, yeah. So we held hands in Calypso Cafe with a bunch of bohemian kids that I could have never, ever connected with if I hadn't been vulnerable, if I hadn't been broken. If I was the, the pre-cancer Greg, I would have been in control and I didn't have any, uh, th there was no brokenness. And so literally, we bowed our heads and prayed and every one of us wept. And so literally, I, I, I think the key to real relationship, the key to really connecting is vulnerability. Guys, the, the reality is, is none of us have it all together. None of us. Every one of us are broken. And the fact is, is God says when we're weak, he's strong. And I found, used to think when, when I'm strong, I'm strong. And that's not true. So anyway, the, the, for me, again, the key to true connection is to be, being able to... As Brendan Manning said, he says, I, I, I won't follow a leader unless he has a limp. And frankly, uh, you only connect with people when you have a limp. Well, Greg, where I commend you is that, that we all have a limp. All of us have a limp. Some, it's more obvious than others. But for those who live through that limp and share that limp is where the real connection takes place. Tell us about uh, your time in Beaver, Beaver Creek with Alicia. Well, I think back of the, the scripture, praise be to the God of all comfort, who comforts us with the same comfort that we've received so we can comfort others. So, I mean, what we've been through, whatever our struggle is, is I find more often than not is where God's going to use you ministry-wise. So let him. Again, let him. Don't hide it. Don't. I mean, I'm so used to wearing masks my whole life that the masks are gone. And with the mass being gone, again, the ability to connect is unbelievable. I was in Beaver Creek, Colorado. Um, my wife and son wanted to ski. Uh, I can't ski because I can barely breathe at ski, you know, uh, sea level, much less being in the mountains. So <clears throat> instead of skiing, I went and hung out in the, I think it's the Hyatt at the bottom of the, the, the mountains, of the, the slope. Beautiful setting. I mean, incredible took my Bible journal, sat in front of the fireplace, wood-burning fireplace, and I, um, I went to the, um, the bar to get a glass of wine at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And the bartender, uh, her name's Alicia, says to me, she's probably early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, and she says to me, so why aren't you skiing? And I said, do you really want to know? And she said, yeah, I do. I said, well, I did chemotherapy on Monday. And I had a pump, and so I was doing chemo until Wednesday. And I'm just trying to get by. 
She says, wow, that, that, that's interesting. She goes, can we unpack that story in greater detail? And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. She goes, hey, I've got to go take care of this table over here. I'll come over and find you. And I thought we were done. I thought that was it. Well, Alicia comes across. She sits down on the, the edge of my chair. She says, tell me your story. And I just told her the struggles that we've been through and kind of what God's doing and how he's showing up. And she says, I need to share something with you. She said, seven years ago, she says, my dad was a Baptist pastor. And he had a massive heart attack, unexpected, and died. And she says, you wouldn't believe what the last seven years of my life looked like. I mean, the things that I've done and how I've run from God, she says, I'm just ashamed. I am so ashamed. And she says, there was a Saturday. She says, I, I had determined that I'm going to end my life. And she says, I was in an apartment, and I knew exactly how I was going to do it, and I knew exactly when I was going to do it. And then someone knocked at the door, and it was a Baptist pastor whom I'd never met. And she says, you know, my, my sister still goes to his church, and I would too uh, if I still lived there. And so what I felt God prompting me to do was just stand up and whisper in her ear, you know, God loves you. God's crazy in love with you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It do, he, he loves you. And I did that. And when I did, she lost it. I mean, completely broke down sobbing. She put her head on my shoulder and gave me the biggest hug. I, I think I've, I mean, frankly, I, I've not gotten a hug that tight ever in my life. And so we went back to Beaver Creek in February. And I walk in with my wife and son, and, and we walk into that area. And she sees me across the way, stops what she's doing, comes running across the room, gives me a kiss on the cheek, and says, how's my favorite human? Isn't that amazing? And just being available, you know? I, 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 I was raised in a church that we added to the front of our Bible that we wouldn't be in relationship with people that serve alcohol, drink alcohol. Or, and, and literally, I think that moment was as holy of a moment in a bar area that, that could have been anywhere. It was unbelievable. So, Well, that's, a, that's an incredible story. Uh, you were supposed to be here 10 weeks ago, and early in the morning, that Thursday morning, you woke up with chest pains and ended up in the hospital, and next thing you know, you had a heart attack at the right place at the right time for a heart attack. The day after that, though, you wrote a blog or posted something on your Facebook. Could you share that, what you posted, and, and how that reverberated across the country? Well, I'll do this quickly because it was, um, again, uh, uh, part of the, the, I say the deal, part of the commitment in January of 2012, I just said, God, I'm in. I mean, whatever, whatever you want me to share, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, I'll write about it. I'll talk about it. I'll, what, whatever you want. And so for, you know, almost five years, I've been just prompted. It's, it's been unbelievable. I'll find myself, I'll just start crying sometimes. And I just start writing. And what, then I, you look down, it's like, where did that come from? And so um, I was prompted on Friday the 8th of, of April. Um, I'd gone in. They had put a stent in. Uh, they had given me blood thinner, a, a, a large amount of blood thinner. And with cancer in your lungs and blood thinner, that's not a good combination. And so uh, I had uh, fluid on my lungs so I could barely catch my breath. I mean, I was just gasping for air. I was coughing up blood. 
And, and, and I literally thought, this is it. I mean, I just thought, this is, this is how it ends. And, and by the way, just for the record, uh, what comes to mind isn't, I wish I'd gotten the bigger Lexus or, uh, you know, built onto the house like my wife wanted. Uh, what comes to mind for me was family, and I was thankful that my, my wife and son are both following Jesus. Second, friends, and their friends in the waiting room, and friends that were texting and praying for us. And then third was, I, I, all I could think of is, does that nurse, or does that doctor, or does that, do they know Jesus? And so I, I, I wrote a blog post, and I, frankly, I don't know how. I just got my computer, and, but it was, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it was, I, I can breathe barely. But, but it dawned on me, as long as there's air in my lungs, as long as there is a breath, what I'm going to do, what I'm committed to do, is to care for these nurses who are around me. It's to say yes to what God tells me to do. As long as there's breath in my lungs, this is what I'm going to do. So in the past, I told you that you know, w w doing stuff for God under your own initiative is addition. One plus one equals two, plus one equals three, plus one equals four. You slowly but surely kind of do some stuff, and it's good. And you know, it was, but it's not multiplication. It, it's not, it's not uh, jet fuel, if you will. You know, so what, what we write this post. I just push send, and you know, it goes out into wherever it goes into the world. Well, Sunday morning, my phone and my wife's phone, we were at Vanderbilt at the time, are just blowing up. I mean, and I'm just like, what in the world? And there are friends in Dallas who are at Watermark, and Todd Wagner has taken that post and used it in his sermon in three different services, probably 12,000 different people exposed to that story. I then find out there's a pastor in Bryan, Arkansas, that used that same post in his sermon. And then I find out there's a pastor in Houston, Texas, that did the same thing. And, and, and literally, if that morning they had asked me to come and speak with them, I couldn't walk more than 10 feet without needing oxygen. But God could take that message that was from my heart that he prompted me to write and use it in a way that could impact thousands of people. And I don't even have to get out of bed. So, yay God. Yay God. As you have committed yourself to the Lord and you're walking on this adventure, the Lord has opened your eyes to see things that, that most people don't see. Tell us about Molly at Vanderbilt. Okay, this is the last story. And then, um, but, uh, you know, again, I told you when I was, before I turned 46, before I got the diagnoses, I didn't see these people. They didn't exist. Whether it was in a hardware store in Dallas, Texas, or in a, a public uh, grocery store here, I just didn't see them. And then if you did see someone, and then they were bald, and you could tell they were probably a cancer patient, then you don't, at least me, don't really look at them. You know, you kind of look away, and you kind of, you, you don't, uh, you know, there's a difference between caring and staring. And I wouldn't even, I would just look away. I wouldn't engage. So, um my 52nd round of chemo, I think it's probably three weeks ago. It was a day after Mother's Day. Uh, I had just finished meeting with the oncologist. The next step was 20 minutes later, I had uh, to get to the infusion room to get chemotherapy. Uh, I was running late. I'd left the pump that I would have to take with me that would pump for two days after the chemo treatment in my car, so I had to go find that. I had to get over to 
Albaugh Pond or whatever they call that place at Vanderbilt, which was another, it's going to take 30 minutes to get over there and back, and I was going to be late. And so I'm walking out, walking through the waiting room, and I see a young lady with blonde hair, her head down, a tear in her eye. She has a white form and a pink form in her hands, which is indicative of she's a cancer patient. When we show up, that's what they give us. We have to fill out these forms. But I see her, and I have this kind of mental um, uh, debate with God. As I'm walking past her, God, I'm late. I've got to get my deal out of the car. You know, I mean, I'm going to be late to infusion. I'm going to, a few more steps, and I hear, pray with her. And a few more, God, I mean, come on, I've got, I've got to get lunch. I'm going to be, that, uh, pray with her. And I, I mean, I'm probably 30 yards away from her. And I just said, I made a commitment, and I'm in. So I turn around, I went back to Molly. And ironically, my mother's name is Mally, okay? And this young lady's name was Molly. So I, I, I just sh- I walk up to her and I go, you might think this is crazy. I'm not a pastor. I'm a business guy who happens to have cancer. Are you a cancer patient as well? And she says, I am. And I said, well, well God told me I'm supposed to pray with you. Are you okay with that? And she says, yeah, I am. Thank you. And so we bowed our heads and... And before I can start praying, she blurts out, my mom just died today. My mom died today. And she had the same form of cancer that I did. He said, she said, will you pray for her? And I literally said, Molly, I don't know how to I said, give me a second because I don't, I don't know how to pray for that. And so I paused for a bit, and I thought, you know, and, and by the way, when you enter into, when God tells you to pray with someone, when God leads you to people like this, he will give you the words to say. You just have to stop and listen. And so it dawned, it dawned on me the day before we had been at a uh, Mother's Day celebration. And I was talking to one of my closest friends, and I said, I can't tell you how thankful I am that my mom is in heaven. See, my, and I told Molly, Molly, uh, my mom had the same form of cancer that I have. And she died six, seven years ago. And I can't tell you how thankful I am that she's not having to do another round of chemotherapy, that she'll never have to do another round of radiation. But she's in, she's in heaven with Jesus right now, and there is no suffering. And I said, Molly, that's something that we should celebrate. And she says, my mom knew Jesus too. And I said, that's awesome. And so I was able to put my hand on her shoulder and pray for her. Thank God that her mom was in heaven with with him. And she just, again, lost it. Another big, gigantic hug and just said, thank you for stopping to pray with me. And so what I say is I look back at that and go, you know, if I had raced by her, I would have been earlier to my uh, infusion treatment, and I wouldn't have been late, but I would have missed the highlight of my day. It's unbelievable. And so, again, kind of in summary, you, you've heard all of these stories. And this, is not, this isn't about me at all. This is about availability. This is about slowing down enough that when you hear that still small voice and you don't hear it when you're racing to kind of make the next quarter's earnings, you don't hear it. It's, I know because I was there.
But when you slow down enough and say, God, I'm in, I want to be a part of your team, I want to be a part of your plan, then you do get those promptings. He gives you the words to say, and literally in five years of approaching people from MD Anderson in Houston to Texas Oncology at Baylor in Dallas to here at Vanderbilt to, I've never had a single person say, when I say, hey, I think I'm supposed to pray for you, I've not had a single person say no. Every one of them. I mean, these are people, literally, I prayed once with a guy that I'm walking by, he and his girlfriend, and I look over, and this is a Hispanic guy who has tattoos all over his body, down both arms, across, up to the neck, and he even has a tattoo on his bald head. And I looked and said, if I had seen that guy outside of the hospital on the street, I would have gone to the other side of the street because I would have been afraid. But God led me to go over and pray for he and his girlfriend. And crazy is he says, I got all of these tats when I was in prison, and I am so ashamed of this. You know, so I just say, my, my encouragement to you, don't make this harder than what it has to be. Simply spend time with God, pray, and listen more than you talk, and commit to do what he tells you to do. And you, too, can be on an adventure of a lifetime. I mean, I, I want, I mean, my prayer last night was that you guys would join me. Because if each of us left this place with the commitment to do what God asked us to do, there, a revival would break out in Middle Tennessee. I believe that. But that's my story. Thanks for taking the time and for allowing me. Guys, thanks for letting me share my story. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media. We'll help you launch your podcast with confidence and excellence so you can get your message out there and connect with your audience in measurable ways. That's harringtoninteractive.com. 